Welcome into another edition of the Dane and Victory podcast, only available on musketeerreport.com. I am Rick, and for this edition of the podcast, I am joined by the legend, Brian Snow. Real quick, before we begin with this show, I want to take the time to thank you guys for all of you who took advantage of our free VIP day on Wednesday and checked out the site. We could uh, see through our analytics that a lot of you were on the site clicking around, so we appreciate that. And wanted to remind you that right now until Friday at midnight, we have a 75% off sale going for an annual subscription, just $2.24 a month you can get access. If you liked what you saw yesterday, you can get that year-round for 75% off if you take advantage until midnight on Friday. All right. Snow, I think a good place to start this podcast is you You made a post on peaks.com that I was seeing on their message board about some of what you're hearing regarding plans for a, a possible return. And again, I want to preface this by saying nothing is set in stone at this point. That's not what this is about. But just some of the conversations you've had, some of the things you've been hearing, um, I think some of that was interesting. And you had it sort of slated towards the Big Ten because you were posting it on the Indiana board. Um, but a lot of it was just sort of general stuff. Um, what what sort of are you hearing right now in terms of where we're at in terms of a potential return in, with getting guys back on campus, getting back to workouts and basketball things? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Every school is kind of handling it a little differently. In terms of getting guys back on campus, Xavier's still working on that plan. Uh, um, it's allowed June 1st. Xavier's not going to have a plan in place by June 1st. And honestly, it, it's not really that big a deal. Uh, so don't worry that like, if Cincinnati or Dayton or whoever has people back on June 1st at Xavier's losing ground, it's really not that serious. But what the school has to figure out with the athletic department, and I think administrators, lawyers, Mario, a few others are involved in this, is what do they think is the safe way for players to not only live in the dorms, but to work out? Who's going to be allowed to work them out? How long are they allowed to work out? Who can they work out with under what conditions? Like, this might seem silly to some, but like, if you're working out with a manager, does the manager have to wear gloves when he's throwing you a basketball? Um, all those things have to be worked out. And it, it's, you know, you got to get blessings from lawyers and administrators. And what may seem stupid to some is it's a real thing. So that, I would guess by about June 8th or so, Xavier's going to have some plan for how they want student athletes. And I got to use that term. Why would I ever use that term? While, why athletes are, you know, how they want athletes to come back and um, how they can do it safely or close to safely, however you want to view it. So that, that's the first plan in terms of getting people back is Xavier has to come up with a one to 10, you know, operation. Now, in terms of what it's going, an athletic department's going to look like, everybody's making plans, and there's multiple plans for this year. No one really knows. Now, the good thing for Xavier is basketball doesn't start for, what, another six months, basically, So, in terms of people being at a game. So they have time. They have a lot of time. Um, but what I think you're going to see is no matter what is – I think Xavier probably chartered every game last year except for Butler, every road game. Um, that's not going to happen this year. Like, they're not going to take a charter flight to Chicago when they play DePaul. 
everybody's in the Horizon League now. Yeah. You know, my guess is they're not going to take a charter flight to Milwaukee when they play Marquette. My guess is that'll be a bus. It's not a great um, bus trip. I've done it. Yeah. So, like, that type of thing is going to happen. Let's say they play Georgetown on a Saturday. My guess is that'll be a direct commercial flight instead of a uh, charter flight. You know, can you get to New York from CVG direct? Can you get from CVG to, you know, D.C. direct? Uh, you know, Philadelphia maybe. I'm not saying every trip. And it will probably be more weekend trips than weekday trips. But the, And this is going to go for basically every athletic department. Um, just schools are going to be a little bit different this year in terms of how they travel. And then also, you know, they're going to be budget cutting things. I said this, and instead of like paying Chris Heron $15,000 to say, don't, don't inject heroin in your body, you know, it'll be Travis Steele saying, don't do drugs, kids. Um, yeah, I thought that was one of the more interesting points you made is kind of the, there is some fat to be trimmed here, some? right? <laughs> I mean, the charter flights is a big savings. That's obvious, but there are some, not some, but there are a lot of other things around Division One athletics that you can cut out and save significant portions of cash as well. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to one athletic director who who oversees an athletic department that that makes a lot of money and spends a lot of money. We were having a 10 to 15 minute conversation. And I swear to you, by the end of that 15 minutes, just running numbers, he had cut $15 million off his budget without even thinking about it. And it was just easy stuff from charter flights to how many baseball games you play to how many softball games you play to how many volleyball games you play. Like, I don't, you know, like the baseball team, I don't, I don't know Xavier's baseball schedule, but if they took a trip to Florida every spring, that trip has now been canceled. Sorry, well, kid. I remember we were having a, uh, let's just put it this way, a strong-ass conversation one night at Denver, uh, at dinner with a, a member of an athletics department who was telling us about a rock that their athletics department had just purchased for a tiger to lay on that cost over a million dollars because it was yeah. heated and cooled at proper times. So, um there, there is a lot of things that they spend money on that probably isn't necessary. Those types of things will go out the window. For instance, Horizon League teams might cut out second broadcasters. I may be putting my application in across the board next basketball season. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that they can cut out to save money. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. But they have a lot of room. And this goes before cutting sports or anything like that. Um, I think and they're doing that as well. I'm sorry, what? And they're doing some of that as well in terms of the nonprofit sports. Yeah, and I think a lot of that was they were just looking for an excuse to do it. Of course, yeah. Um, I think the, a lot of them are happy about some of these that they're able to cut right now with no one questioning them. Yeah, no doubt. It gives them a get-out-of-jail-free card because athletic departments have been running in this weird space between operating like a business and operating like a nonprofit. Now they have to operate a little bit more like a business where you know you cut the things that you're not making money on so, you know, there's a lot of ways to save money, and I know it's not this simple, but you start looking at how much money these schools are sitting on, just higher education in general, the numbers are astounding. And, you know, I, I know you don't like to, you know, take money from one bucket and put it into another bucket and yada yada, but they'll, they'll have to get a little creative. and they can make it work. Now, where it's going to be interesting is, let's say only the Cintas Center in the, for the first, until 2021, let's just say J January 1st, just for an easy date. You can only have 25% of the 
occupancy or or zero percent occupancy, whatever it may be. Um, is that enough to justify buy games against you know who that Marshall? Like, can you pay Marshall one hundred and ten thousand dollars or ninety five thousand or whatever the heck they're paying if you only have two thousand people in the stands? Right. I don't and know. Then, if you, and what do you do if you can't do that? Do you just cancel those games and and just start your schedule later in the year, or how's that work? I don't know if anyone has a great answer. For that. <laughs> I mean, that gets really interesting if all yeah. of a sudden teams are scrambling at the last minute. We could get some wild matchups if they try to replace those games, but my my assumption is they'd probably just eliminate them if if it comes down to that. Yeah, I mean, like I don't. What I think you'll see is I think you'll still see like the Gavit games stay because oh sure yeah you know that's on national TV and the whole deal and it's not that expensive to go to travel to a Gavit game or whatever it may be. Um, because you're not paying Michigan $85,000 and no, I'm not saying Michigan's coming to Xavier. That's not what I'm saying, but you're not paying them to come. So the, the minor expense of the actual road trip isn't bad for school. So I think you can get those, you know, conference, non-conference series like Xavier and Cincinnati. There's no reason that they have to cancel that game. Um, you know, realistically it's, you, you could tell the players to drive their own cars. Like the expense would be like lunch. Um, you know, those games I think will, will go on. I think the buy games, which is interesting for a school like maybe Northern Kentucky, Rick, is like, I don't know how many times they get bought or if they even need to get bought, but that could be two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars $250,000 off their operating budget that they have no way of getting back. Yeah, it's important for NKU, but I mean, for other programs, it's literally the only way they survive. Yes. Um, and even more so in football, obviously this doesn't impact Xavier, but I think like Toledo was supposed to get like $1.2 million to come to Ohio Stadium and get blasted by Ohio State this year. Can't imagine they can cut that check without fans in the stands. Yeah, it seems. I mean, as much money as Ohio State makes, that that ain't happening. So... You know, can if Toledo's planning on a million dollars that they're not going to get, we got a big problem. So I'll be interested to see how that all works out and how that plays out. But th- there, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be different that maybe fans won't even notice, but a lot of stuff's going to be different. Yeah, I think that that goes without saying. Um, let's bring it back towards the basketball side of things, Xavier specific. What is the the coaching staff doing right now? I mean, we've seen them throwing out new offers, but aside from that, what are they actually doing? Um, they have a lot of zoom meetings. They do that. Um, clearly they've offered everybody in the country. So, you know, that takes time. Um, you know, what else are they doing? They're, Prob, you know, I think they probably watched every minute of every game last year, gone over film, deciding what kind of offense and defense they want to run, getting conceptual things together, stuff of that nature, you know, having Zoom meetings with the team, um, just, just doing everything they can to be as prepared as humanly possible for when and if players are allowed back on campus. Yeah, Steele's been doing a few more interviews uh, with different, you know, kind of some smaller outlets, uh, things of that nature, podcasts and just Twitter interviews. Um, And he said a lot of the same stuff that we've already heard, but I know he has kind of emphasized that he's been watching a ton of other teams, 
leagues, international leagues, um, and, and just thinking up some different styles and ways to play and different elements to incorporate. Um, something he's talked about numerous times is just using their big men in short roll situations, which is something I know you and I have talked about a little bit mm-hmm. when you have guys like Zach Fremantle and Jason Carter who are really comfortable catching the ball, you know, 15, somewhere in that, you know, 12 to 18 foot range from the basket. They can face up, pass, shoot, dribble a little bit they're valuable in that way. So it makes sense that they would try to utilize that those mismatches. Um, I don't think there's a, a ton of other groundbreaking stuff to be taken from that, but Xavier staff is doing as much as they can, just like every other staff across the country. I think for this staff and Travis Steele specifically, one of their biggest challenges might be trying not to bug kids too much, like not trying not to over recruit certain kids. Yeah. And then, or bug each other so much that they want to kill each other. Well, that's happening without question. And yeah, <laughs> there's there's no way around that. They they have to talk to each other. But yeah, I mean, they, they, I think you know they're they're communicating with their top recruits nonstop. They probably check in with those guys every day or just about every day. And the challenge is probably to to know when to lay off a little bit and uh, not smother them. To to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean that it's all about a balance in recruiting. It's I think I'm trying to remember the exact quote I got from someone, but it was like be persistent without being annoying is the way to recruit and it's a delicate balance and yeah Steele is someone who enjoys the communication aspect so putting the reins on him is probably necessary at times I want I want to get into how they evaluate players and some of the offers they've been issuing but real quick uh, just in terms of the the current team which player do you think is potentially hurt the most by the quarantine is there a guy do you think it's it's most dangerous for potentially? Uh, I think like, I don't know if dangerous is the right word, but I think that the grad transfers are the ones hurt the most because they can't get to campus as soon as you would like and can't, you know, get hands-on work because they only have one year. So I, w- I would say like the grad transfers maybe are the ones that are, that are hurt the most because they're going to be, you would think they're going to be relied upon as older guys, but they can't be around and they can't get to know their teammates. So I, I would lean kind of to, towards them. Yeah, I think it's uh, that's a that's a good option. Um, but Deontay Miles is the one that stands out to me because one, like, I think we're going into this season expecting he's kind of the backup center, right? I mean, they could get creative with their lineups a little bit, but he would seem to be playing over ten minutes a game, bare minimum next year. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, um, I, I, and probably upwards of half the game. So they're it, relying on Deontay. Yeah, that that's one that makes a lot of sense as well. And the problem that, that they've seen with Deontay is he, he puts on weight and they had him up to, uh, they're saying up to 230 pounds. I heard it's probably closer to like 220 plus, but um, that, that he's been able to put on the weight when he's there every day with Jennings and working out and eating the right way. But when he goes home for holidays or is away for too long, he doesn't, eat the right way all the time on his own. So I think that could be, you know, they're obviously in constant communication trying to make sure he's doing those things and he's not too far away just being in Walton. But I think that maybe is the biggest concern for the staff right now in terms of guys that are away that they can't constantly monitor is, is Deontay eating what he needs to eat to keep all that weight on. Yeah. And you know, is he lifting and eating and doing everything? That's a legit concern. Yeah, and, and it's not easy to do when you have his type of build, his type of metabolism, and you're trying to bulk up in the way that he is without a, a, a true professional gym and the things that they have at the Centos Center. Um, it's a challenge. So, You and I have that same challenge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, putting on weight has been a big issue for me. I know that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how does the staff 
evaluate players right now because they're issuing all these new offers. How are they able to sort of change their mind on a guy who they didn't feel was maybe worth an offer when they saw him during the high school season and, and now they decide in March or April or May that he is? Um, well, I think basically be guys that they didn't see during the high school season more than anything. Um, and then for guys they did see, you know, you really go over the film, you watch 10 games instead of one game, and you go from there and you, you, you do the best you can with what you got. I mean, what they're doing is they're watching an absolutely asinine amount of high school film right now. And as someone who's also doing the same thing, I can tell you it is a miserable existence. And, you know, it's just not a lot of fun, but it's what you got to do and it's the only way to do it. And this is a staff that clearly is not shy about throwing an offer out. No, and, and I think um, it's, a worth, it's a conversation worth having, evaluating guys off of tape versus evaluating them in person because in this business, it's kind of demonized when you talk about, oh, you just saw the tape, like you didn't see him in person. That, that was always kind of a big deal, especially you know going back when I first started in it. Now I think it's a little bit different, but I think it, it's, you need to point out that they're not watching highlight films like everyone sees on YouTube or Huddle. They're getting entire games from the coaching staff. Now they may send it to their video coordinator who's going to chop it up and just put all the possessions involving the recruit they're trying to watch or something like that and make it more consumable for them. But they are watching like every single possession of this kid's high school season. You can take real valuable information. And I would argue that in some instances we get too caught up in seeing a guy play live for two games in an entire year and deciding that's who he is. You know, I think you need, you need to see him live because there are things that can only be taken from a live appearance, especially when you know they're playing elite competition in an AAU setting at a Nike YBL event. But there's also like, you need the context to go with it of an entire high school season worth of games. Yeah, there's something to be said for that, um, which I think you, you, can, you can do both. Uh, the biggest issue with film, especially at the high school level for most high school players, is the competition you're going against. Which games did the high school coach send you? Is it just their best games? Is it, you know, all the, you know, what is it? And then also, is this kid 6'6 six, six or is he 6'8? Does he have a 6'5 wingspan or a 6'10 wingspan? That's almost impossible to tell on film. So you, you do get into that problem if you haven't seen the kid in person. And I think that's going to be where a little bit of an issue lies. And, you know, and then again, the, the level of competition can vary greatly depending on who you're recruiting. Yeah, and that level of competition where it can really get you is what I call the relative athleticism issue. Because on film, when you're just the best athlete on the floor, you can look pretty darn athletic. In person – that doesn't usually, they don't jump off the, the floor in person. You know, you're not like, oh, this guy's a great athlete. You're like, hey, he's just the best athlete amongst a bunch of poor athletes that look like me in high school. You know, I, it, that, that difference is, is easier to separate in person. It's much more difficult when you're seeing it on film. Absolutely. So, and that, that's what makes this recruiting cycle dangerous, but every, every school's going through it. I mean, even Duke and Carolina are going through it. So they got to figure it out just like Xavier has to figure it out, just like North Carolina A&T has to figure it out. In, you know, we just put out a hot board within the last week, and right following that, of course, the staff is issuing three or four new offers. And that's not to say that it screwed up the hot board anyway, because the guys on the hot board are designed to be the guys that they're, they're really in there with and, and will be in there for a while with. So uh, it's not really the point to have every guy that they've offered 
on the hop board. But it, it kind of is the point of why I wait until May to put that thing out because people are always saying, you know, in March, at the end of March, when are we going to get a hop board? And it's like, well, here's the issue. By the middle of April, this thing is going to be totally obsolete. And then two weeks later at the beginning of May, it's going to be obsolete again. You kind of have to wait until you get into May at least to really start taking that thing seriously. We're kind of getting to that point now, um, but they have thrown out some, some new offers. So do any of the, the real recent offers to you stand out as names we should really pay attention to? Um, you know, I think Marcus Ilver, I think that's how he pronounces his name. Yeah. Kid from Massanutten. I think that one stands out to me a little bit. Um, James Graham is someone they really like. Now, will they have a chance in heck? I have no idea. But, you know, he's a Milwaukee area kid. Um, so, you know, regional kid that, you know, Wisconsin hasn't offered and doesn't fit the Wisconsin prototype anyway. Um, so, you know, I think those two kind of kind of work. Maybe it took me a second. Thompson's another one. I caught your comment. It took me a second, but I, I caught that. Okay, it's good to hear. Gianni Thompson is, is another one you were saying. Yeah, I think he's another one that you could uh, point to as someone who's going to be a real target going forward. Lucas, what is it, Lucas Taylor, I think? Yeah. The other kid from North Carolina. He can shoot the heck out of the ball. They really like him as well. I, I think, you know, those are some of the guys with the newer offers to really pay attention to. Yeah, and I had mentioned when I posted the, the hot board nuggets, sort of just giving my thoughts after evaluating a lot of these guys as much as I could and, and getting thoughts from coaches that Lucas Taylor was the guy that really stood out to me. I like his game a lot. I think there's a, a ton of upside there, especially in terms of what Xavier's looking for at that forward spot. You kind of made some waves on the message board today when you placed a crystal ball for one of the top guys on Xavier's hot board, Malachi Branham. Um, you, you picked him to go to Ohio State. What's sort of went into that thought process and how confident do you feel in that pick at this point? Yeah, if you can look, the, the confidence level on my pick isn't extraordinarily high. Um, it's just right now, I don't see like this path that Xavier's going to beat Ohio State or Louisville's going to beat Ohio State or, you know, whoever it is, Alabama. I just don't see that path right now. And, you know, may, and Malachi's in no real hurry, but Ohio State's probably the school, is definitely the school that's had him on campus the most. He's from Columbus. You know, he goes to St. Vincent, St. Mary. You know, it, it just, a lot of factors are in there that I think Ohio State's going to be really tough to beat. And given the circumstances that we're all working in right now, I felt that even though he's not right around the corner from a decision, that, that the Buckeyes are going to be really tough to beat. And it, it made sense to put in a crystal ball. Right. I mean, it's like how in a situation like that, especially when he's a, a top priority for them, that they're not going to sort of slow down on or start recruiting other guys at his position over him. How is someone going to make up ground in this climate right now? Not, you can't bring them on campus. You can't really go see them. I mean, there's, there's not much you can do as a staff to make up a lot of ground in a situation like that one. Yeah. So it, it to me, it just made sense to uh, put Malachi to Ohio State. But again, it wasn't like a a high-level confidence crystal ball, but, you know, it just kind of felt felt time. Xavier fans are uh, already starting to panic, I think, a little bit. I've seen posts that this is 2018 all over again. I mean, I think there is some legitimacy to, to the point that, like, Ike Cornish, Pierre Brooks, um, maybe even guys like Logan Dunkham and, and Luke Goody could be put in that mix, but there's guys that were at the top of their board at one point at least that have now committed elsewhere. 
is it time at all for Xavier fans to be worried that they're missing out on too many top guys? No, not yet. I mean, the staff still has really good relationships with a lot of kids. Um, and I think what you saw is a lot of kids that just knew where they wanted to go, got it out of the way early, and now you're getting into a little bit of a lull. Now that could pick up here now that the recruiting calendar has kind of been set where there's going to be no July, you can't make a visit until August. I think you might be able to, I don't know if pressure's the right word, but break down the situation to a lot of kids who like, hey, and this, I'm not speaking Xavier specific here, but like, you know, you haven't been to campus yet. We get that, but you've seen the campus on virtual tours. Like what more do you need to see? You know, you want to come here. What's the point of waiting? So I think we could see that next wave of commitments. And if it gets, and if there is another wave and Xavier's still, you know, holding the bag with, with zero commitments, then you can get worried. But right now it's, it's way too early. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is the timeline is hard to predict when, when that time should be that you should be worried because we don't really know what all these recruits are going to do. Are they all going to decide a little bit later this year? And, and so everyone's timeline is pushed back or is it just completely random and everyone is kind of making their own decision? It it seems like a lot of times, once you get some to pop, you see them go in waves a little bit. Everyone sort of starts making decisions around the same time. So my guess is that's how this will go too. You'll have some that decide a little bit earlier. Once we kind of have the recruiting schedule set, you'll see a little bit of a wave and then you'll see it slow off, uh, slow down and, and, and tail off. And you'll see a bunch of guys say, I'm going to wait until I can and can make a visit. And so their timelines will be pushed back a, a little bit longer than they otherwise might, might've, but I don't think you can make a blanket statement right now about, you know, here is the timeline of when, Xavier is going to be in trouble if they don't have their first commitment or if they don't have X amount of guys committed. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing, as long as there's 10 or 12 wings that they like on their board, you know, like, does it matter if a lot of guys that they're not recruiting have already committed? It really doesn't, you know, cause they're still alive for the guys that are their targets. So it, it's not just the number of commitments that happen nationally. It's who commits and in what position is one, you know, did they lose out on six, four men all at once, which happened in, what was it? 2018, you know, right. do they lose out on that? There are different times, but right now it's just not that time to be overly worried. Now, is it okay to have some concern? Sure. I mean, it's almost June. They don't have a commitment yet, but I would tell you in 2019, I don't think they had a commitment until after July. And then they got five of them. You, you just never know. Yeah, I mean, and, and that that can change so quickly, like you said. And last year, the, the 2020 class was unique because you had Dwan Odom committing so early. Um, and then you got C.J. Wilcher in early June, you know, to kind of get things rolling there. So, I mean, I don't think it would be crazy to say that Xavier could get a commitment in June, some point next month. Uh, it's not completely out of the question right now, although I don't know that anyone's quite as close as C.J. Wilcher was at this time a year ago. Um, We did just post the hot board last week. There's already been a little movement since then. Give me a few names that your fans should have their eyes on right now. Whose recruitment is the most active in your opinion? I think Ja'Shawn Holt's definitely very active. Brooks Barnheiser, certainly very active. Jordan Hawkins is another one. Um, Gabe Dorsey, certainly in the mix. Jeremy Sohan from uh, the power forward from La Lamere. Xavier's very much involved there. Uh, you know, Luis Lesman is another player they're having constant communication with. So th- there's a lot. I mean, th- there is a lot right now. It, those would be some immediate names. I know they really like Casey Simmons, who they offered recently out of New England. 
He's another player. I, you know, what their chances are, I, I don't know right now. I think they have. I do think they have a real chance with Gianni Thompson. So they got they got a lot of irons in the fire, no doubt. Um, Robbie Armbrester for sure. And uh, wh- where it goes from here, you know, I can't tell you, but it's going to go somewhere. Yeah, again, all of those guys are detailed on the hot board that we just released last week, so you can get more information there, musketeerreport.com. 75% off right now if you sign up for an annual subscription. Um, Brian, describe Jayshon Holt as a player. because For me, he's kind of a hard guy to describe and point out what he's good at because he's just kind of solid at a lot of things offensively, but nothing jumps out. Defensively, I think that's where he kind of shines, that he's versatile and athletic on defense. How would you describe him? Yeah, he's a big, strong wing who can play the three or the four. Defensively, he can really guard almost anybody. And then, um, you know, he's a tough kid. He rebounds. Then offensively, he knows who he is. He can, he'll make open threes. He'll take open threes. He's not going to take threes he can't make. You know, he's got some game off the dribble, can pass a little bit. Just kind of a, a very good glue type of player who may never average 15 for you, but can give you a solid, you know, showing on both offense and defense. You also brought up Brooks Barnheiser, and he's one of the guys we kind of been talking a lot about on the message board at Musketeer Report. What's the deal with his recruitment right now? Because you did put a crystal ball in for him to Butler last October, I want to say. I mean, it was a while ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Recently, it seems like there's a, there's a little bit more momentum for Xavier potentially in that recruitment. What are you hearing in terms of the latest with him? Yeah, you know, I just haven't wanted to change that crystal ball pick yet. So um, I'm sticking with it. I don't know if I necessarily believe it right now, but I, I haven't felt the need to change it yet. Um, Brooks, you know, right now it's, it seems like Xavier Butler, Northwestern. Louisville's been calling him a little bit. Western Kentucky's in the mix a little bit. I know he really wants to visit Xavier. He has not had a chance to visit Xavier yet. He's been to Northwestern and the Butler. If this was normal times, my guess is he would have already visited Xavier and made a decision. Now, I'm not saying that decision would have been Xavier, but I think he would have made a decision already. That, that has not taken place yet. Um, the interesting thing about Butler right now is, like, he came really, really, really close to pulling the, the trigger. Uh, I think it was October. I know I was sitting in an airport in L.A. when I put, when I put the uh, crystal ball in. Um, so, you know, it came really close, hint, hint, hint. And I almost feel like if he was going to Butler, he would have just done it by now. So that could bode well for Xavier and Northwestern. But again, we're in times that are just so hard because we've never been through it before. That does the kid just say, all right, I've been to Butler the most. That, that's where I want to go. I don't, I don't know. But right now it's Butler, Xavier, Northwestern in some order. All right. The recruiting dead period was just extended through July 31st. Have you heard anything about a possible late recruiting season or something they may try to do to make up for that later in the summer or fall? You know, there, there's talk of August. There's talk of September. My guess is the coaches really won't, the coaches with power really won't want to do that. They'll want to be with their guys on campus. So I tend to believe no, there'll be no recruit you know, evaluation period, so to speak, for AAU. I, that's just my guess. I could be wrong on that. Um, but th- there, there's talk of it, yes. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest question right now just revolves around visits and, and when are you going to be able to bring kids to campus? Now, it would be unprecedented, but 
you know, can you, can you bring a kid to campus in July? I don't know. Maybe you can. Um, I, I don't think so, but you know, they, this is the NCAA, you know, like they can change the rules as the membership wants them to change it. If, if the school presidents, you know, and the athletic directors go to the NCAA and say, Hey, listen, we understand not wanting our older coaches to travel off campus and, you know, keep our costs down, blah, 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 blah. But we want to allow kids to come on unofficial visits or we want to allow kids to make official visits. You know, the NCAA is going to say, fine, do it. We don't care. And they'll, they'll make a bylaw that says it's allowed. I mean, that, that's the beautiful thing is they can do that whenever they want to. So that could happen. I'm not saying it's likely, but it could happen. And then if not, you know, it could happen in August, could start in September. We have no idea. Like there, there's a lot of plans being thrown out and no one has firm answers. Only Clay Travis. <laughs> I'm not getting into that with you. Uh, real quick, you know, we've broken down the various transfer names on the message board and why they weren't going to end up at X. Elijah, Lani, Bo Hodges, Nike Svandy. Do you think it's over in terms of landing a transfer for Xavier at this point? No, because I think other kids will transfer and we'll take a look at those kids. Um, I don't know who, but I mean, yeah, it's it, just entering the transfer portal, so there's no reason to think they're going to stop. And it seems like that might be one thing that it has delayed a little bit. It seems like we are seeing a few more later decisions on the the transfer portal this year too, because of the quarantine situation. So like, I, you know, I think you, you can't write it off. I mean, is there a name I could point to now? No, there's not, but I don't think you could write it off as a possibility that someone will be added in, in some capacity. It sounds, sounds legitimate to me. All right. uh, Brian, anything else to add here before we sign off? Yeah, I think we're good. All right, that covers it. Again, I want to thank you guys yesterday for taking advantage of that free VIP day, checking out the site. We have a 75% off sale, 75% off an annual subscription. That means just $2.24 a month for the next year. No obligations after that. Just go to musketeerreport.com right now to take advantage until Friday, May 29th at midnight. You've been listening to another edition of the Dana Victory Podcast. For the legend, Brian Snow, I'm Rick. Thanks for listening, everyone.